Today we're looking at Acts chapter 17, verses 1 to 15. I have a recurring nightmare. It doesn't happen very often, but sometimes I think when I'm stressed out, I have this nightmare. In this nightmare, I'm back in high school. And it's the end of the year, and it's finals week, and I have to take my final exams. And I'm in a science class or a math class or an English class or something. And, and it's the day of the exam, and I haven't studied anything I don't know anything. I haven't been to any of the classes. And I have to take this test, and, and I have done none of the work. And it's, it's really terrifying. It's one of those ones that you wake up after the dream, and you know, you're like, oh, I'm so glad that was only a dream. So to all you students out there, when parents tell you, listen, you thought school was bad. Wait till you get to grown-up life. That's so not true. School is as bad as you think it is. <laughs> it's terrible. Grown-up life is much more, you know, relaxing, and you get paid for it. It's great. So, well, um, this year as a church, we have been studying a topic, not math, not English, not social studies. We've been studying this idea of engage. We've been thinking about uh, how we as Christians can be better at engaging people with the gospel, how we can be better at telling people about Jesus, growing that and, and I think for some of us, it's been an exciting year. I, I know, at least anecdotally, from the conversations I've had with some of you, is you've been taking kind of baby steps and sharing your faith more, engaging people with the gospel more. And it's been exciting. There's, there's been some cool stories of how God's been working in, in our lives as a church. And then maybe for others of us, as we think about this topic of engage, your experience has been more like my bad dream. Where here we are at the end of the year, and you're thinking like, I haven't actually really done anything. I, I, haven't, I haven't tried to engage at all. Maybe for you, it's just been a really hard year. You know, you barely kept your nose above water with the winter and the storms and all kinds of difficult things. And, and sometimes when you're, when you're having a really tough time and you're going through trials in life, it's just an accomplishment to get out of bed and even get to church, let alone, you know, think about engaging people with the gospel. Um, but... But maybe you're, you're new here, and uh, you, you've seen, you know, like this Sunday, we've got this flyer for the Engage training session, April 27th, and you're like, oh, well, that's what that church is doing this year. Well, I'm new. I've only been here a couple weeks, maybe a month, so, well, I, I guess I missed it. You know, that ship has sailed. Well, whatever. But I, I have good news for all of us today. Today, I'm declaring Engage Amnesty Sunday. So wherever you're at, whatever you've been doing, we're going to slow the bus down, open the doors, and give a chance for everybody to re-engage with engaging others with the gospel. Because the fact is, it's never too late to start engaging people with the gospel. It's never too late to start being a little more bold uh, with our faith in Christ. Jesus has called us to make disciples. Making disciples is a responsibility of every Christian. That's a command given to the whole church. And so it's part of what God has called us to do. And yet it's one of those things I think that we all struggle with in different ways. So here we are this morning looking at Acts chapter 17. <clears throat> Continuing our study with Acts. And as you're going to see, at one level, this, this is a travel log. It's a continuing travel log of the Apostle Paul, one of the found, help, founders of the church, as he's traveling throughout Greece from town to town telling people about Jesus. Last Sunday on Easter Sunday, we saw he was in Philippi. Do you remember that? 
And then this Sunday, we're going to see him go to Thessalonica. Then he's going to go down to Berea. If you come next Sunday, we're going to trace him going down to Athens. So, so Paul is traveling through uh, Greece, preaching the gospel. In fact, if you want to look in your bulletin uh, in the front left panel on the inside, there's a little map. I think we pulled it off Google Images somewhere. Anyway, it's the journey he's on. And you can see, if you want to, you know, if you're into maps and place names, you can see Philippi and all the different places we're going to look at today. So at one level, the passage we're going to look at today is a, a travel log of Paul's journeys and his missionary work. But another way to look at the passage we're going to study today is that it's also showing us a repeated pattern of how gospel growth happens. It's, it's showing us the repeated pattern that we've probably now seen many times in Acts of what it looks like when we're engaged in the work of the gospel and in making disciples. There's a pattern that's been going throughout Acts, and here we see it again. And so if, if you're here this morning and either you're engaging with the gospel and you just want to keep going, or maybe you feel like, I'm not really getting this. What do I do again This is a great on-ramp because, again, we see in this text the pattern of the growth of the gospel and how it happened back then, how it's happened down through church history, how it's still happening today. It's really the same thing. Things haven't changed, even though times and cultures have changed. The work of of the church and of, of gospel ministry hasn't changed, the work that God has called all of us to do. So let me do this. I'm going to read chapter 17, verses 1 to 15, and as I do... I want you to be listening for the, this pattern of gospel ministry. And here's the three things I want you to specifically listen for. Number one, see if you can find in this text the gospel message, what it is we're supposed to be telling people. Then number two, I want you to listen for the gospel method, how it's done, that there's a certain approach that's taken again and again. And then number three, look at the mixed results, the mixed responses to the gospel, and that will probably be pretty obvious, but how people respond. Not everyone responds the same way. You shouldn't expect it to always go well. So listen for the gospel message, number two, the gospel method, and then number three, the mixed responses. All right, let me read this passage, verses 1 to 15. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil, Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day 
to see if what Paul said was true. Many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. The men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So did you pick up some of those things? We have at one level it's a travel log, but another level it's, it's the story of gospel ministry. There's a message, there's a method that's repeated throughout the book of Acts, and then there's also a mixed response. So, so first of all, there's a message. It, we're talking about engaging people with the gospel message, but what is the message? Let's just, re- see, just remind ourselves of it again. There it is in verses 2 and 3. It says, as his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue. That's what he did in every new town. If there was a Jewish synagogue, he'd go there first to his own brothers. The gospel goes first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. And it says, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. So there's the message in a nutshell. It's from the Scriptures. The gospel message comes out of the Bible. It's a summary of the Bible. You might say that the gospel is kind of the, the whole summary of the main point of the Bible. Take, take the Bible. What's the main point? It's the gospel message. So what is it? Well, it's that the Messiah, the Savior whom God would send, the King whom God would send, actually had to what? Suffer and die and then rise from the dead. Now, this would have been a strange thought. Because in Jewish thought, when the, at least contemporary Jewish thought, when the Messiah came, he would come and conquer everything. He would beat the Romans and establish a, a new theocracy. Uh, but instead, this Messiah comes and he dies. That would have sounded weird to Greeks and Romans too, by the way, because their, their kings always came on a white horse whooping up on everyone. You know, that's who the king was. The, the, the Caesar beat everybody. So this idea of a, of a Messiah or a Savior who would suffer who would die and then rise from the dead. The Greeks didn't believe in resurrection. The Jewish people believed in resurrection, but they believed it was at the end of time, not in the middle of history. So this was a very different vision of the Messiah. So Paul had to explain to them that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise again, that he would die for our sins. And then he had to tell them the response. Okay, so that's the message, so what do we do? Well, you're supposed to believe the message. We see that in verse 4. Some of the Jews were persuaded. See it in verse 12. Many of the Jews believed. So that's the gospel message. The gospel message is that you and I need to be saved from our sins. We need to be reconciled to God. We need something more than just a better political leader who's going to fix things. We need to be fixed. Our hearts need to be fixed. And God sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sins, to bear the penalty for our sins, and then to rise again from the dead so that there's actually power to change our lives. He, he not only died to forgive us, but he rose to change us so that we can become a new person. And it happens, the way you access all that isn't by some ritual or some activity. You, you simply believe in the gospel. And so through simple faith in this simple message, God is changing lives. That's, that's the gospel message. And we need to keep the gospel clear in our hearts and our minds. Um, and, and as we go out, as we do engage, we've got to make sure we 
share that message. That's the message of the gospel. It's really important because as you start to engage people uh, about spiritual things and spiritual conversations, um, the the thing you're going to find is that people like to talk about all kinds of things other than the gospel. So when you have a spiritual conversation, which itself can be a rare thing, people want to go other places, right? They want to talk about all kinds of things, like, you know. So if there was a flood, what happened to the dinosaurs? You know, and where do they fit in the Bible? Or they want to ask you, what do you think about evolution? Or what do you think about same-sex marriage? Or as a Christian, do you support or not support the death penalty, and why? And why are there so many different denominations and churches if there's one Bible? Why can't they all just agree? And why do bad things happen to good people if God is real? And how come Christians are so judgmental if God is a God of love? And what do you think about near-death experiences? I had this uncle who, he died on the operating table, and he saw a light, and then he came back, and then he, you know, was resurrected. You know, this is where the conversations go, right? And those are interesting things to talk about. And I don't think we, you know, as Christians, we wrestle with things, and sometimes we don't have answers to everything, just like nobody has an answer to everything. So we wrestle with things like this. But my point is, let's make sure we tell people the gospel. Because it's the gospel that saves. Even if I could give you, like, a super slick answer to all those questions, so that you would intellectually be like, oh, that's a good answer. You still don't know God, You still need to be brought to God, and that doesn't happen by me giving you a slick answer about dinosaurs. It happens when we understand that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. It's not just intellectual argument that we need. The problem is really my heart in needing to be forgiven and transformed through the the power of Jesus who died to forgive and rose to change me through his power. So we, we need the gospel. And we need to remember that too because I think sometimes we as Christians talk about other things in the gospel. You know, people we're talking to, they want to talk about other stuff. Sometimes we get an open door as Christians and we talk about the wrong stuff. Or we talk about good things, but they're not the gospel, right? So, so like we'll say to people, we'll have a spiritual conversation and we'll be surprised that someone who wants to talk about things of faith. We'll say, oh, 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 you should come to my church. And, and you should see the fill in the blank, Right? Here, meet, meet my pastor, or listen to the music, or you should, you know, see the youth ministry, or, or our youth pastor. He's like, you know, or you, you know, come, come check out the, the new building, or whatever, right? And that's good. Don't stop inviting people to church. That's great. Last Sunday, we, we had Easter here. We had like a thousand people come through the building, and wow, you guys did a great job as a church inviting people. Maybe you're here this Sunday, and like last Sunday was your first time here, and you're kind of sneaking back in, and we're super happy you're here. That's great. But let's just be clear. The gospel is a message about Jesus. It's not just an invitation to church. Maybe people come to church to hear the gospel. Super. But just keep it clear in your head what's what, right? That the gospel is about Jesus. Or sometimes we'll tell people, if we get to talk about Jesus, we'll say, oh yeah, Jesus is great. He gives you purpose in your life. He can help with your marriage. He can replace despair with hope. All true. But those are the results of the gospel. That's what Christ does in our lives. But what's the gospel? It's being reconciled to God through faith in Jesus. So it's really important as we do the engage thing that we get the gospel straight. And, and the book of Acts is great for that. You know, If, if you really want to think about how 
how to share that gospel message. Here's, here's something you can do if you just like to study a little bit more. Read through the book of Acts and stop whenever you come to speeches in Acts where there's all these little summary sermons in the book of Acts. And just read through them and you'll find wonderful little gospel summaries again and again scattered throughout the whole book of Acts. And it's a, it's a fun study. I've done it. And just see, see how the apostles articulated the gospel message. So here's what I want to do. Today's like super practical Sunday. Um, so I did this in the first service. It worked, I think. So I'm going to try it again in this service. I Hopefully it won't be a disaster. But what I want you to do is, all right, okay, so pretend you're not in New England. I'm going to turn and talk to the person next to you, all right? And I want you to turn to a person next to you, maybe two, at most three of you together. If you don't know each other, introduce yourselves really quick. And I want one of you to share the gospel with the other person, Okay. So it's going to be 45 seconds. It's going to be really quick. If you can't decide who has to do it, settle it in the biblical fashion. Rock, paper, scissors. Okay? <laughs> That's from the Bible. No. Anyway, so you can settle it that way. So just turn to the person next to you, and you introduce yourself, and then you're going to get 45 seconds to just try to share the gospel message simply. And it, it was okay in the first service. We'll try it again. The wheels didn't come off the bus. Okay, ready? 45 seconds. Start. All right, that's the gospel. It's kind of different when you have to actually say it, isn't it? Even if it's a little summary. That's good. Practice it. Practice saying the gospel. So sometimes you call that your elevator speech, right? Get in an elevator, and someone asks you, so what do you do? And you got 15 seconds to just tell them. Sometimes that's what you have. And just share it. Make sure it's clear in your head. And what's great is when you really get the gospel, you can expand it, you can contract it, you can talk about it. The gospel's great. You can talk about the gospel for six hours. You can summarize it in 60 seconds. It's an amazing message. A four-year-old can share it on the bus. A 40-year-old can talk about it for hours. But there's not only a gospel message. There's also a gospel method. There's a way that the gospel was often explained. There's a way the gospel spread, which may sound funny because I think sometimes people say, look, the message doesn't change, but the methods change. There's some truth to that, but in some ways that's not true. There's a, there's a method that, that God has used as the primary means for spreading the gospel down through the ages. It, it, there's, it, you know, the Bible not only talks about the message, but also the method. It's the method, the method we see throughout the book of Acts. And that's helpful too, because I think some of us know the gospel message. Some of you are like, share the gospel. Okay, I've heard this since I was like five Right? And you know it backwards and forwards. You've taken classes on it. You can quote Bible verses. It's like, great, but am I sharing the gospel? No. Ah, you need method. You need to understand how it's done. And, and there's a, something, a pattern we see here in the book of Acts. And if I had to summarize this, this method for how to start becoming more effective and engaging with the gospel, I would use two words and... Um, let me, let me just tell you what the words are, and then we'll look at them. And the words are, open up. That's the key. You've got to open up. Number one, open up your life. It starts with just engage. You've got to open your life to another person. You have to engage that person and, and start interacting in an intentional way. Look again at what Paul did in the book of Acts. This is his pattern. Says in verse 2 again, as his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures. So he was there for three weeks in the synagogues. And then even beyond that, we don't know how long it was between the synagogue and the riot that eventually started, but he was there for some chunk of time. So maybe a month, maybe longer. 
he didn't just sort of do a blast through Thessalonica and, you know, shout the gospel as he was running, you know, galloping by on a horse. You know, believe in Jesus, on to the next town. He, he spent time there. He engaged his life. He, he was intentional about relationships. That's another great word, intentionality. So opening your life is about being intentional with the relationships God's given you and to really love people and, and plug into them. You know, what's cool about uh, about this trip to Thessalonica is that Paul later writes two letters to the church of Thessalonica that are in the Bible. And in one of those letters, he talks about this time he spent there. So we not only read about it in Acts, but we also kind of get Paul's description of what it was like there for several weeks in Thessalonica. So I'm going to show that to you. Put a bookmark here in Acts 17 and flip over to 1 Thessalonians chapter It's on page uh, 1169, if you're using a pew Bible and and maybe you're just not familiar with the Bible. There's a lot of books, a lot of chapters. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, page 1169. So this is the letter that sometime later Paul wrote to that church that he started in Thessalonica. And and look what he says to them, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, you know, brothers that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know. Remember that? That was last week. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you the gospel in spite of strong opposition. We, we took a risk. We, we are intentional. We brought the gospel. We had the message, but he also had the method. Look down at verse 6. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. What a picture of a very relational ministry, of opening your life. Again, he went there, they got involved with the people, they invested their lives with them until they got thrown out. They, they spent time, they, they worked hard on the sides, they wouldn't be a financial burden to the church, and then they spent time ministering to the people. They just kind of poured themselves out into these people and, and built up the church in even a very short amount of time. They, it was an open life. And, and if we're going to engage with the gospel, we have to open up our lives to other people. We have to be intentional about finding ways to just engage the people who are around us in, in genuinely loving, no-strings-attached friendships where we're just there for people and we love them and we care about them and, and, uh, and, and that's, that's the engaging of, of our lives with other people. Uh, I was uh, talking to a lady before the church service last Sunday on Easter and she was just really excited. She was sharing with me about um, how she's been opening her life lately. So her thing is walking. She loves to walk and now that all the snow's melted, she can walk again. And, and the thing she's been doing is being very intentional about inviting the other women in her neighborhood to go on walks. She's like, hey, you want to go on a walk? Do you want to go on a walk? And so, she, you know, they share their life. And she's opening her life to them very intentionally. And it's, you know, they talk about all the stuff, like kids and, you know, problems and health issues and struggles. And you hear this in the news and this movie or, you know, all the stuff you talk about as you open your life to another person. But also talking about her faith and, and telling them how God is at work in all of those areas of her life and just being transparent about how, how she's living the same kind of life they are but, but how her faith in Christ is impacting and shaping that. 
And, and so she's, but she's doing that purposefully. She's intentionally, you know, like Paul, he didn't just sit back in home in Antioch and wait for Thessalonians to come visit him. He went there. He engaged. He started conversations. He opened his life to them. And he shared his life with them, not just the gospel. And so to be a person who engages, it, it takes an intentionality about relationships, it, it means that as I go through life, I need to keep my eyes open to the people around me that God has put right in front of me, and, and they're right there, and I need to open my life to them and just pray that God will use my open life and their open life and that they'll open their life to me and we'll have a real friendship and then I can talk about the Lord with them in some way or another. I find that um, so much of my life, I can so easily slip into just kind of getting things done mode if you live life that way, get her done, right? That's the important thing. I got her done. I got, I got so much to do. I got work to do. I got things to accomplish. And I get it all done so that I get home and I can do the fun things that I like to do and, you know, whatever it is and, you know, eat and go to sleep and get up and do it again. And it was a good day because I got things done, right? But, but I can go through that, that mentality and I don't even really perceive the people who are right around me. They're either, like the people around me can sometimes just become impediments to getting things done or helps to getting things done. You know, what are you, you in the way or are you helping? Like, come on, got to get her done. But, but that's not an engaged lifestyle. You, you just won't be an effective evangelist that way because it's the people who are right around you that God has placed in your path and placed in my path. And so it's something, it's, it's a mentality change. You see what I'm saying? It's changing your mind and your heart toward the people that God has put in your path sovereignly right there in order to, to bring the gospel to them. And, and when you have that change, it really, it's exciting to start looking at people. It's like, oh, there's a person right there. I've been working with them for years. There's a person right there at the lunch table next to me. I've never noticed them before. Oh, oh. And we can start moving toward people with the love of Christ. And so that, that's how it's done. I mean, it's, it sounds simple. It kind of is. It just takes a little bit of intentionality and some persistence is all it is. But it's great. The people I've noticed who are really effective evangelists, they, that's a characteristic that they, I've just noticed they always seem to have is that they're people who are intentional about relationships. If you're not intentional about relationships, don't expect a lot of chances to share the gospel. You know, it, what, if you're not intentional about relationships, what will happen is, like, someone will have to walk up to you out of the blue and be like, hey, I know you're a Christian. Can you tell me about Jesus? That may happen probably, like, once in your whole life. So you may get to have that happen once, and then you're not, so you, and then you're not used to it, and you'll probably mess it up. You'll be like, oh, I don't know what to say. Oh, bye, you know. But when we're open, we have to have an open life. Second, we have to have an open Bible. Open up your Bible. People need to read about Jesus. Again, that's a theme here is that Paul is opening up his Bible again and again in Acts. We see that Jesus is being shown to be the Christ out of open Bibles. They're always pointing to the Scriptures. So that's an important thing is we open up our lives, but it's not enough just to be a good friend. We also have to open God's Word with people. And, and that can happen all kinds of ways. Sometimes it's like real simple conversations. Hey, what'd you do this weekend? I went to church. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot you go to church regularly. Oh, it was great, though. Because it, you know, in the sermon or in the Sunday school class or in the Bible study, there's this one verse in the Bible that really hit me. It was da 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 da, and this is what I took away from it. And so it's starting to expose people to the Bible. Sometimes you can give a Bible to people. That's a great thing. Do you have a Bible? 
Oh, I think I got a Bible. I think I got one when I was a kid. And I have no idea where it is. Let me get you a Bible. You give someone a Bible. The Gideons have been doing this for years. And they just hand people Bibles. And it's amazing how effective it is when people are given a Bible. They might read a little bit. And that's, you know, once you, once you open up the Bible and start reading it, you, you know, you've let the virus out of the tis, test tube. And God's word is, goes viral in our hearts and it affects us because it's a living word. It's not like any other book. And so we just need to try to get the Bible to people and open the Bible. Rico Tice, who's an evangelist in, uh, in London, he has defined evangelism as teaching the Bible to unbelievers. Just opening God's word and looking at the Bible. So we need to open our lives, we need to open the Bible then we have to open our mouths. We have to talk a little bit. Look at all the, the open mouth verbs in this passage. Verse 2, Paul reasoned with them. Verse 3, explaining, proving. And then later on in verse 3, he's proclaiming to you that Jesus is the Messiah. So there's reasoning, proving, explaining, proclaiming. All these speaking verbs. So at some point I have to open up my mouth a little bit and start talking about God. I've got to have a little bit of boldness and start sharing a little bit about the Lord. And maybe you start just by telling your own story of what the Lord has done in your life or what you're going through and how God is helping you. And just talk about your faith and how the Lord is working in natural ways in your everyday life. And it'll be different. It'll be stark and exciting and maybe a little scary, but also exciting too. And so... Open your life, open your Bible, open your mouth. It's really not hard. And that's the pattern we see throughout the book of Acts. That's how the gospel has spread down through the centuries. Whether it's people doing that from a pulpit or in a Bible study group or just like one-on-one over burgers in the backyard or, or whatever. That's, that's how it's always spread. You know, that's what missionaries do. We think about missionaries who go to foreign countries and you know, we're talking about Blaine Boyd. He's uh, our pastoral intern here, and we're sending Blaine to Dubai to do church planting. And you think, oh, missionaries, they must have some like special secret, you know, Jesus ninja trick that they, that they learn that regular Christians don't know. You know, what's the secret trick? All right, here's what you do. You go to another country, you learn the culture, and you open your life, open your Bible, and open your mouth. That's it. That's all missions is. It's just what we're doing here except over there. And, and so you have to have the added level of learning the culture. But it's the same work. It's the same type of work. That's, that's what ministry is. That's what, that's what gospel, I should say gospel ministry is, is doing that again and again. It's wonderful and it's so simple and we can all do it. So just encourage you to do that. Um, you know, one of the challenges we have this year that you can still get in on is we've been encouraging people in our church uh, to be doing one-to-one Bible reading where you invite someone to read the Bible with you one-on-one. You know, give them a Bible and, hey, did you read that Bible? Eh, I tried to. I didn't really get it. Well, do you want to read with me? Maybe they'll say yes. Who knows? Um, we, we had a Sunday school class in the fall. Some of you guys go to that Sunday school class. It was called one-to-one Bible reading. Maybe you picked up a few sessions of it. We're, we're studying this book by David Helm, and it's, it's a super-duper simple guide on how to read the Bible with another person. I mean, like, look how small this thing is. Even if you're not a reader, you can handle this. Half of this is appendices, so it's like 40 pages is all it is. You can read this in an hour, easy. Even if you're a slow reader like I am, you can read this, and, and, uh, and it's a real simple guide on how to read the Bible one-on-one. It's super simple. Open your life, open your Bible, open your mouth, and, and 
I would encourage you to try that. Maybe, okay, maybe that's even too scary. Let's go even simpler. All right, here's a baby, baby step. Find another person in the church who's a Christian and just go up to them in the next weeks. Maybe you have someone in mind you can think of and say, hey, listen, I kind of was interested in what the sermon was about. I'd like to learn how to do one-to-one Bible reading. I'm not ready to go start talking to people outside of the church. Would you just read the Bible with me one-on-one like every other week with another Christian in the church? And be like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll try it. And start learning how to do that together as, as Christians. And then the two of you as a team, because that's how often, that's another pattern we see in Acts, right? Paul operated in teams. Paul and Silas, they always went as a little group. And then you as a team start praying, like, okay, I, I got this friend, Fred, who, man, I just, I love to introduce him to Jesus. Oh, yeah, I've got this friend, you know, Tommy. And, okay, you're going to pray for Tommy. I'll pray for Fred. And let's just start praying that God will open up some kind of opportunity. And so together, the two of you are like a little team, or maybe three people praying together and learning how to just do personal ministry. It's not hard. It just need, you just need to take a step and kind of start doing it. Could you imagine if our church, all the people in our church, or half the people in our church were regularly engaged in some kind of one-to-one Bible reading. I think that would transform our church. I think it would be just amazing. We, We wouldn't just have programs in our church. We'd have a culture of evangelism and discipleship. It would be kind of normal. And I think one of the great things it would do for us is that it would it would help us get out of the passive spectator consumer mentality that I speaking for myself, that's my natural default is to be a spectator and a consumer where I sit back and I just kind of watch the thing happening or, or we come to church and we're like, all right, what do you got for me? And the church is like, oh, what do you need? What do you need? We've got a million programs. We've got a million things. Here's the menu. What do you want? Oh, that doesn't work. Right, we'll come up with something for you, something for everybody. But as we look at the book of Acts, that's not how the gospel spread. The gospel didn't spread by the church just trying to find out what everyone wanted and making something for them. The church, the gospel spread as the, the Christians all said, we're part of the process, and they went out and engaged, and they did the simple thing of opening lives, opening Bibles, and opening their mouths. I think that would be great for us just to, and I know what's happening here. I'm not saying it's not happening, but can we even build it more? Can I build it more, be more intentional about personal ministry? of opening my life, my Bible, and my mouth with others. So how do you engage? How do you jump into this? How do we get going? If you feel like you've been having a bad dream and this is all just passing you by, how could you jump in? Know the message. Learn the method. Super simple. Anyone can do it. And then finally, be prepared for mixed results. They're mixed results. So look back at the text. What were some of the results? Verse 4. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. So some people in the synagogue believed. Some of the Jewish brothers and sisters, Paul's fellow Jews, believed. A lot of Greeks and Gentiles believed. But not everyone believed. Verse 5, there was pushback. So, so expect, don't be surprised if some people believe. That sometimes surprises us, doesn't it? You start talking about Jesus with someone, you're like, you, you wouldn't want to read the Bible with me. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I, I'm sure you don't. No, I would. Well, I know that's crazy. You wouldn't want to do that. I would. And then we read the Bible with them, and then they come to believe, and we're like, you, you don't really believe, do you? Yeah, I believe. Well, you can't believe. That just doesn't happen. It's happened. Like, stop trying to unconvert me. I, I believe. And it's surprising. That's how God saves us. 
you know, you, you became a Christian because someone came to you, right? And they opened their life and they opened their mouth and they opened God's word. That's how you became a Christian. And, and so that's, that's how God does it. Don't be surprised if you start doing this and God starts saving people. It's amazing. But sometimes there's resistance. Verse 5, the Jews were jealous. Now, that's not talking about every Jewish person because we know some of them believed. It, it's sort of a subset. And, and they were mad that that people were going the other way. This isn't a comment about Jews. This is a comment, I think, about human nature. <laughs> that, that if we don't believe, sometimes there's jealousy. So probably there were some people who believed, some people who didn't care, and then some people in the synagogue who became jealous. And, uh, and so they round up some bad characters and start this mob. And so don't be surprised if there's resistance, even hostile resistance. You may be talking to someone about the Lord and they may be becoming interested in like their, maybe their mom or dad it's not going to be happy about that. Or their spouse or co-workers. Sometimes there's all kinds of weird social dynamics that get created. And then you think, well, I created a mess. No, you didn't. That just happens with the gospel. The gospel, just, the gospel makes a mess because it confronts us with the truth. And some people move toward it. Some people move away from it. it it's very normal. It happened to Jesus all the time. He would preach the gospel and there would be some who would believe and some who weren't sure and some who resisted. Or look at Berea. Look at, that, look at that response as we're looking at different responses. Verse 10, as soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans, this is a great verse, the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So in the Thessalonian synagogue, they kind of heard it, and the general reaction was like, huh, that's interesting. What's for lunch, right? In the Berean church, in general, they heard the message and they were like, wow, I've never heard this. Is this really true? Huh, I'm going to dig into this a little bit. And they kind of leaned in and pressed into it. And they studied. And surprise, surprise, it says in verse 12, many of the Jews believed. Whereas in verse 4, only some of the Jews believed. Two different Greek words. Certain Jews, but in verse 12, many in the synagogue believed. So you have this, this different effect. Not surprising. You dig into God's word and, and you're going to find God's truth more, more often than not. So you have all kinds of mixed results. Some believing, sometimes indifference, sometimes resistance, sometimes run out of town. And, and that's how gospel work is. It, it's just, it's like a farmer. You're sowing seed, Sometimes it's like really fruitful. Sometimes it's not in a good place and doesn't grow. It's like fishing. Some days it's hot and some days it's not. That's how it is. And you just keep at it faithfully day after day, week after week. And God works the way he works sovereignly by his Holy Spirit. Our job is just to be faithful. We can't predict the results. And they can come in all different shapes and sizes, these results. It doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. If it goes bad or people run you out of Thessalonica might mean you did something right with the, with the gospel. We just have to be faithful. So, know the message. Know the method. Prepare thyself for mixed results. One more word, and I'll close. You know, if you're here this morning, and maybe you are not yet a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, you're interested, you're obviously here, you're curious, you're, you're listening, and that's great. And I know the sermon in many ways has kind of been geared toward the Christians, the members of the church here. But if you're not a Christian, um, I think there's a challenge here for you too. And the question is, as you listen 
to the gospel? Are you listening like a Thessalonian? Are you listening like a Berean? Are you like, huh, well that was interesting, kind of different sermon, what's for lunch? On to the next thing. Or, or are you willing to lean in a little bit and say, I wanna learn a little bit more. I wanna be, I wanna be open. There's an open for you, it's called open up your mind. Be open-minded, you know, check it out, look at it, really investigate it. You know, I got all these problems with the Bible and all, all these contradictions and all this stuff in the Bible. Really, have you read the Bible? Mm, no. Like, you should read the Bible. You should try it. it. Look, help me. If you're here and you're not a Christian, help me, okay? Here's what I want you to do. Find a Christian here. Maybe you came with someone, you know someone, and ask them to read the Bible one-on-one with you. I need help jump-starting this, and I need you to help me. So if, you, if you're here and you don't know uh, Christ or you're just investigating or you're seeking and searching, you know, ask a Christian you know to read the Bible one-on-one with you. And do it like a, a Berean. Because at the end of the day, what do you got to lose? If it's not true, if this really isn't God's word, if the gospel isn't true, well, what's there to lose? You'll, you'll have learned a little bit. You'll have read one of the great works of Western civilization that everybody should know if they want to consider themselves educated. It, it won't hurt you in any way. And if it is true, how else are you going to know unless you listen like a Berean? So be open-minded. If it's true, it's true. If it's not true, it's not true. And truth can stand getting the tires kicked. Truth can handle it. And so lean about it. Lean in and think about it. And may we all open up. May we open up our hearts, open up our lives, open up our mouths, and open up our minds. And may God's gospel flourish in our region. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would work in our church. I pray, first and foremost, you'd work in my own heart. Oh, God, I pray that we would know the message, that we would take the risk of adopting your method of opening our lives and our Bibles and our mouths. God, we pray that you would prepare us for mixed results. Oh, Lord Jesus, I pray if there's anyone here who, who is uncertain about these things, that you would give them an open mind and that they would they would press in a little bit and spend maybe a couple weeks trying to just investigate it a little bit more. And God, I pray that you'd show them yourself, that they would know that there really is a God and that he really does save. Oh, Lord, thank you for the gospel. May it transform us and may it transform our region. Lord, use us as your, your tools in the process, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.